This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, November 30th, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Entitlements will have to be front and center in any serious discussion about shrinking the burden of government for the long haul. Some new plans for Social Security are now on the table. Jagadish Gokhale is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute and author of Social Security, A Fresh Look at Policy Alternatives. The Fiscal Commission, headed by Erskine Bowles and Alan Simpson, has uh, a not very detailed plan for Social Security uh, as part of a bigger mix to reduce the uh, cost of government, relatively speaking, over the long haul. What do they propose that we do with Social Security, at least on the, the, the two sides of the equation, the revenue, inflows and outflows? Well, there are several proposals And there are bits and pieces borrowed from the proposals or packages that other reform-minded economists and budget analysts have uh, put forth. And uh, several of the proposals reduce benefits directly by changing the indexing of benefits, introducing a new bent point in the benefit formula, and generally progressive, increasing the progressivity of the benefit formula so that high earners would pay, uh, would receive less benefits in the future. Uh, they also have revenue side changes, such as uh, increasing the taxable maximum income limit. Uh, by my reckoning, that change is not going to do much because the right baseline to compare that against is an already increasing projected increase, uh, projected uh, taxable maximum limit that would subject or bring under the payroll tax up to 90% of all uh, wage earnings. Currently, it's 83%, but by my reckoning, that percentage is scheduled to rise under the baseline itself. So specifying that it should rise doesn't really do much relative to that baseline. In fact, it might do less than nothing if you... It will do very little because by my reckoning, it'll increase to about 88%, the share of earnings that would be subject to payroll taxes. On the benefit side, you you described briefly, but what does it mean that uh, progressivity will uh, increase under what what they propose? What does that actually mean? Well, it means, for one thing, they introduce a new bend point, which is... uh, um, In the benefit formula, there are these uh, uh, limits, dollar thresholds, which are called bend point factors, and percentages, which are actually called bend points, which determine for every increase in your average monthly indexed earnings during your past career, how much additional benefits you would receive. And the benefit replacement proportions decline as your average monthly indexed earnings increase. So for high earners, the additional dollar of earnings, uh, average earnings, returns only 15 cents by way of benefits. But for low earners, the uh, every additional dollar might in, uh, uh, bring in uh, uh, 90 cents on the dollar. So by... Uh, Uh, Reducing these percentages for high earners even further, they're essentially reducing the uh, additional benefits that people get for earning an extra dollar, which is increasing the progressivity of the system. This plan, 
as you point out, is cobbled together in, in a lot of ways from specific uh, line items from other plans, uh, what what do they leave out? What are, what are the big uh, changes that should have been in, in this Well, the one thing I can uh, definitely say is they propose an increase in the retirement age, but the increase is very gradual. It goes up to making the normal retirement age 69 over a span of 75 years. So gradually increasing it beyond 2023, which is when the current uh, increase that is scheduled and is occurring already is scheduled to go through. Uh, Beyond 2022, they uh, continue uh, raising the normal retirement age and also the uh, early retirement age, which is currently 62 and is not uh, scheduled to increase. But they do it very, very gradually. And so raising the retirement age only through 69 and, and then after 75 years, achieving that goal after 75 years is extremely slow relative to the already significantly increased longevity that we've experienced in the past, but we have not adjusted the retirement ages in the past uh, in a commensurate manner. So we are already well behind the curve in terms of restoring the nature of the program from its current, what I describe as a a saving substitute. So it basically replaces private saving with government saving. You're saying two things, and they sort of act in opposition. One is that you have to change the retirement age more rapidly than the baseline or the proposal that uh, Mr. Bowles and Simpson have outlined. But at the same time, you have to do it in such a way that people's expectations are changed slowly enough that they can begin to uh, take out of their calculations this benefit uh, for Social Security. Is that about right? Kind of, yes. In the sense that they're not raising the retirement age to restore the program's true function, which is an insurance program. Right now, it's working as a retirement saving program, and it's substituting government saving in place of private saving. Uh, That's not its original intention. The original intention is for the program to to replace lost income due to old age. Now, however, private individuals or workers tend to lose their income uh, deliberately by retiring because they stand to receive benefits from Social Security for a long retirement because they're going to live much beyond age 65 or 66 or whatever their normal retirement age is under the current laws. So Social Security is, to use the term, crowding out Is Social Security is therefore crowding out uh, saving because people save less. And it turns out the government actually doesn't save anything Uh, in order to provide these benefits because it's a pay-as-you-go program. But people in the expectation of these government benefits are saving less, so national saving declines. They're also retiring earlier than they would if Social Security were a true insurance program and protected you against a true accident of outliving your resources rather than providing you with uh, income during a long stage of retirement. And that just means people are retiring earlier, given their health and the quality of life they enjoy and the ability to work. Uh, They would retire much later in the absence of these generous benefits uh, beyond age 65. Uh, So Social Security's uh, benefit cuts are seen seen as bad 
by most of the public because they, for one thing they expect those benefits, for another they think they'll cause old age poverty, but that may not be true. What would happen is people would respond by working more. That would be economically beneficial. They would save more to prepare for their retirement. Uh, so both saving and work effort is being distorted to reduce our future economic growth prospects because of programs like Social Security. If we reform the program appropriately to restore its insurance function, it would incentivize people to save more. That would be a boost to the economy because more investment means our workers would be more productive. And it would also encourage workers to uh, uh, work longer, which is, again, a pro-growth factor. So for both these factors, Social Security taxes and benefits are distorting, but undoing those distortions by reforming the program in the right manner is not seen as a desirable policy by many because it directly hurts their own uh, decisions about working and saving. And they don't, it's about making sure that your living standard during retirement is adequate. But if the government's going to withdraw benefits you expected, then people would think that they're going to lose out in their retirement living standard. Whereas the, and the normal reaction, which is good for the economy in the long term, would be that people would therefore work more and save more. But nobody wants to do that. <laughs> so that's the, uh, that's the conundrum we face. Jagadish Gokhale is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute and author of Social Security, A Fresh Look at Policy Alternatives. Get your copy at cato.org.